Good morning, and welcome to episode 480 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. 480. Mm, big number. Ooh. Wow. Big number. Woo! Yep. Keep them coming. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, it's what you've always said right yep. from the start. So you you, you did. Know what? Yeah. I, real quick, this mm-hmm. I, I sorry I interrupted just because I just mm-hmm. noticed this, but I remember watching the Phillies game today, and uh, Dom Brown wasn't playing. John Mayberry was playing, and I was thinking, oh, that's interesting that Mayberry's playing against a righty. And they said that Charlie Manuel didn't say how long Brown would be out of the lineup. And now I just look, and Dom Brown went one for four today because <laughs> the game went into long extra innings. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so it was not long. <laughs> he went he went one for four. <laughs> okay. Alexi uh, Ramirez also, by the way, yes. over four. Yes, we were just over no- four. So it, it goes on and on and on. Just notified by listener Mike as we as we go on and talk about more and more inane things, we get more and more updates from listeners who are. <laughs> Happy to fill us fill us in on all of these strange streaks and occurrences that we're keeping an eye on. So you you did some homework on the uh, Anthony Rinaldi seeing two hitter two no hitters in one week accomplishment that we talked about on yesterday's show. You yep. have a post up at BP about it. Would you like to summarize your findings? Well, there have been uh, since World War II, uh, which is another one of my arbitrary uh, when baseball began to be more real mm-hmm. uh, dates. It's basically, normally I, I've, I've noted 1920 and, and 19, I think 80, uh, 88 are too common. It depends on, on, on the circumstances, but I also will often use uh, 1950 and I'll often use 93. Um, but in this case, I, I used 45. Um, and uh, just because I wanted to exclude Johnny Vandermeer. Um and so since Johnny Vandermeer is a no-hitter, not counting Johnny Vandermeer, mm-hmm. there have been quite a bit of no-hitters that were thrown within a week of another no-hitter. There have been uh, 15 now. I think this is the 15th pair of no-hitters thrown within a week of each other. Uh, and uh, there are I – didn't, I didn't find a single interesting, like, guy got traded or umpiring crew was the same – uh, or manager was fired and hired as a bench coach real quickly after, or uh, or anything like that. And generally speaking, in almost all cases, the games were uh, far enough away from each other that you really couldn't even po- create a scenario where you know some columnist for Sports Illustrated or something would have been at both. Like they all would have kind of been a stretch. I mean, it could have happened. Probably there were some that that happened and some that didn't. But for the most part, that you would think that probably nobody did, and uh, I think it would be a, a, it would be generous to say that even one or two did at, at most of these pairings. Uh, however, three exceptions: uh, in 1946, uh, both games were played in New York, uh, one for the you know one in Brooklyn and one in, uh, in the Bronx. But all the same, uh, both in New York, you have to assume that there's some uh, overlap there. Um, mm-hmm. 400 seems a little high in retrospect, although they were both very well-attended games, mm-hmm. uh, very well, especially for the era, uh, compared to, for instance, the Boston-LA pairing, where uh, with in a like two-day span, there was one in Boston and one in LA, which was the longest, the longest uh, distance between two teams at the time, I believe, 
uh, and only 1,247 people went to the Boston game. So I feel pretty good saying nobody went to that one, for instance. Uh, but there are two that ruin this, uh, that, that um, ruin, ruin the scarcity. Uh, Gaylord Perry and Ray Washburn pitched uh, no-hitters in back-to-back games in the same park. The same teams were playing, one on each team. Um, and then the very next year, same deal. Uh, Jim Maloney and Don Wilson, back-to-back, par- back-to-back days. Same clubs, same ballpark. So there's a ton of people who saw both of those. Um, uh, so uh, mm-hmm. my estimate was, well, should I spoil? Should I spoil my estimate? Uh, yeah, sure. Right. It's, about estimate, the, it's about the journey, not the my estimate. estimate. My estimate was that uh, since World War II, uh, Anthony Rinaldi is the 3,147th person to see two no-hitters in person in the same week. Uh, however, since the Vietnam War, he is just the 14th person. Mm-hmm. All right. So, quite an accomplishment. Thank you, Ben. I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I, I did feel like it was pretty good to see it up there on the website, on the yeah. internet. See people reading it. Mm-hmm. Right. To hear you talk about it. I, thank you. I'm glad you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, okay. Another update. Uh, just wanted to mention that Kyle Farnsworth was released by the Astros, mm-hmm. which means that his quest to exact vengeance on the Mets who released him earlier in the year, is now on hold, or at least he's going to have to look for some other way to do it. And it's sort of a shame because the Astros were scheduled, or still are scheduled, to finish their season last few days of September at City Field. So Farnsworth would have had a few months to plan. He could have really done something special. I don't know what it would have been. Maybe he would have, maybe he would have just allowed a lot of runs to the Mets so that they would get a, a worse draft pick. Maybe that would have been his, his vengeance. Um, but uh, as it is, he will have to come up with an alternate plan. Maybe someone else will give him a chance to get his vengeance. Well, I don't want to get too macabre here. And mm-hmm. I, I, I fear that I'm going to. I think I already have. <laughs> but he, now that he has two teams that he needs to get vengeance on, and he knows they're going to be in the same stadium in September. <laughs> I'm just, I'm imagining. Uh, uh, You're saying you would not, you would, you would ban him from the stadium just in case. Yeah, I, I'm, I, geez, I feel like I, I'm having this mental image of Kyle Farnsworth and a flamethrower. <laughs> To be fair, he has not actually vowed vengeance on the Astros, at least that we know of yet. Um, that was something that he reserved for the Mets in particular because of, of how and why they cut him. So could be that there's only one team on his list. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and then finally just wanted to recognize another listener who did something pretty cool. Uh Padre Gomalin, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I just listened to Frank McCourt pronounce Padre, not the Dodgers owner, but the author, so that I would get that correct. Hopefully I did. (laughs) Um, Padre made a list, a playlist of all of the opening songs that have ever been used in Effectively Wild. He made both a text list, which he uploaded to the Facebook group, and also a Spotify playlist. So if you have ever wondered what a song was and been too lazy to Google the lyrics, uh, you can now find out or you can take a trip down effectively wild memory lane. So 
join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild to see that and also to see Anthony's pictures of, of him celebrating two no hitters in one week. Okay, so um, my initial plan or idea was to discuss the, the new Astros article in Sports Illustrated by Ben Ryder. Uh, I were, we're not going to do that because, you know, the, the article covered a lot of things that, that previous Astros articles have covered that we have discussed on the podcast many times. It was a, you know, a good, good summary of the situation. Just told you everything you need to know about how the Astros are going about this and why it's new and interesting. Um, but if you've, you know, read all the, all the other Astros articles in the past, not that much of it will be new to you. There's some cool in the draft room stuff um, that that would be of interest. And I also learned that the Astros don't use high school stats when they are projecting amateur players, or at least they say that they don't because they're too unreliable. I also learned that Nolan Ryan refers to himself in the third person in the draft room, which is probably not surprising. Probably could have guessed that. Uh, and also we talked the other day when, when Will was on about the proliferation of the term long form and how much it, it bothers us or bothers me and Will at least. And as you noted, long form is in the URL of this article, si.com slash long form slash Astros. And now at the top of the redesigned Sports Illustrated website, or at least this page, it says Sports Illustrated long form since 1954, which is just just horrible, just a crime against the internet. If you were, I, I don't, like, if, I you're, don't, if you're Sports yeah. Illustrated, like, you should act like you've been there before. Yeah. Act like you've been there since 1954. You should yeah. say that all the long-form sites have been Sports Illustrated since 1954. Yeah, it does, it does, feel, it does feel like a miss to me. I, I don't, you know, I don't go in for the, uh, you know, they made a decision. I, I, I'm not going to beat them up over it. They're mm-hmm. a great company. They do amazing work. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I... It did sort of feel like uh, the guy who's telling a bunch of kids how he was punk 35 years ago and <laughs> expecting the kids to be like, whoa, <laughs> when of course the kids are going to roll their eyes. Right. And that's not what Sports Illustrated, I mean, Sports Illustrated doesn't need, they, they, they have been, I don't even hate the term. I'm mm. fine with the term. You and me uh, disagree on that. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine by me. Uh, but I mean, what Sports Illustrated does is, um, I mean, it's like it's legendary to, to take on this sort of new slang and and uh, and and use it to define yourself. Eh, it's disappointing to me. It's dispiriting. I would say. I will have I will have immediate I will have forgotten it by the morning and continue to think that they are you know at the top of the game. So mm-hmm. not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So one just brief thing I wanted to bring up, I was talking about the article with Russell Carlton earlier, and he was uh, saying that, you know, he's kind of wondering what the, what the stakes are now. Like if the Astros experiment doesn't work, either because just bad luck, Carlos Correa breaks his leg and things go wrong, or because they they go the A's route. They're really good for a few years, but they don't actually break through. They don't win a World Series. They don't get there. They don't get all the way there. Uh, and we were talking about what the fallout would be from that. Because we, we talked recently about if the Astros are, are a success, then 
will other teams imitate them? Will they inspire copycats? Will it be more accepted to to do a complete teardown and rebuild? But what if they fail? Is there any fallout from that? And I'm kind of thinking that I mean, even even though Sports Illustrated has kind of kind of put the target on their backs, which you know it probably was already there already. We've we've talked in the past about that Houston Chronicle article where lots of teams and players were saying bitter things about the Astros. Um, and now now that they've been crowned the 2017 world champions by Sports Illustrated, you could see how maybe there'd be some some resentment from teams that have been doing you know, decision science things forever, for a long time. There are a lot of teams that have been doing similar things and maybe have been more quiet about it uh, and haven't gotten the same sort of publicity, although the Astros have certainly taken the the losing to an extreme um, prior to the winning. But is there really any fallout here? Because I'm thinking, I mean, even if this experiment fails for some reason, um, even if they... They don't fully bring it to fruition. It's not like the the tactics that they're using here or the the decision science stuff that they're doing is really all that controversial inside the game, right? I mean, you'll get you'll get your your former players who'll bash them on MLB Network or whatever, but no one's gonna look at the Astros if this doesn't fully succeed and say that they that they did this wrong, right? No one's going to, there's not going to be an anti-sabermetric backlash where all the teams fire their analysts because the Astros experiment didn't work, right? I mean, maybe if it works really, really well, it will inspire some imitators. But if it doesn't, can't imagine that it would have all that much of a ripple effect on the rest of the league. Well, the I mean, the Astros thing isn't decision sciences. The Astros... The Astros, uh, you know, talk about sabermetrics more than most teams talk about their sabermetrics. But, I mean, uh, like we talked about with the uh, Evan Drellich piece, that's the that's the um, extremely generous way of talking about the Astros kind of controversy. Mm-hmm. That because yeah, that will always win if if they're if if they're saying oh people don't like us because we're progressive. Yeah, they will they will win in the end. That people will um, uh, you know remember them as being progressive. Uh, the the Astros thing is losing 110 games every year mm-hmm. uh, with with uh, you know a sort of sense of impunity about it. Um, and if they don't win a World Series in 2017 or whatever, if, however you define failure, as you just decide, uh, did a minute ago, if uh, if it fails, um, no, no fallout, none whatsoever. <laughs> nobody nobody will remember except for um, the small handful of us. Uh, who who talk about this stuff a lot and mm-hmm. think about it uh, in ways that don't <laughs> really really matter mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah I mean in the, the I don't know in the in the conversation that those of us that we know have maybe there will be some fallout some jokes but mm-hmm. not really. no nobody will remember I mean they're they're completely correct nobody will whether they win or lose hardly anybody will remember what they did in 2012 mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah I don't. I don't. I don't think there would be any fallout. I mean, except for the front office, right? But um, but that's yeah. But that probably won't happen either. They, I think they'll probably they'll probably win. I mm-hmm. was surprised that they they uh, that they put a, a date on it, and that um, Lunos I think said 2017, mm-hmm. and that seems late to me. I mm-hmm. to me it feels like, I mean, they, this has already I think gone 
more slowly than they expected. Um, and maybe it's just about managing expectations. But I'd like to hear him say 2015. Why not? Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. stopping? What's I mean, certainly what's stopping him from 2016? 2017 is a long ways away. And mm-hmm. if you're saying it's three more years until we're going to promise you anything, that surprises me. Maybe it's maybe it's um, uh, prudent, but it surprised me. I would have ex- if I had to guess what date they would have said. I would have guessed 2016. And if probably if I if if you'd asked me what date they would have said in 2012, I would have probably said 2015. Yeah, well, we should go back and look. I'm sure we can find a date somewhere. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know that it matters. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. It doesn't matter, in fact. I'm not trying to make a point about it mattering. I don't mm-hmm. think it changes anything. I don't think that date binds them to any particular plan. I'm, I'm just, A, surprised that they gave a date, and B, surprised that the date was as long uh, away, as far away as it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was an exercise, an article that the BP staff did over the last couple days and produced for an article that is up today, Friday, at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, and it's it's sort of a sequel to an article you did last year where you played, you played GM, um, you played Rick Hahn, and you had Jake Peavy on the market. And you uh, solicited bids from other BP authors who were role-playing the parts of other general managers with other teams. And they submitted their their blind bids for Jake Peavy. And you you weighed them all and you picked one. And uh, then Paul Sporer did a similar exercise shortly after with Hunter Pence. So we brought this back with David Price this year since he is the, the number one player who's being talked about at the trade deadline and I played Andrew Friedman and we assigned uh, teams to 11 other BP authors one of which was you you took the angels which was very very brave of you and uh, and we asked for their authors and they sent them all to me and there's an article up today with with all those all those offers that you can go and read but I just want to talk about uh, just in general the authors offers that that I received and I, I sent you a list here um, do you have any general takeaways because I have to say that I am a bit underwhelmed I think by the offers that I received for David Price I have as we record this I have not yet made up my mind about which offer to accept or another option is to reject all of the offers which I would be Totally willing to do. Andrew Friedman already did that over this winter when everyone thought that he would trade David Price. But uh, I'm I'm kind of underwhelmed by the offers I received, and I wonder whether that means anything. Just looking looking down the list, and we picked 11 teams that had been very loosely tied to Price in some fashion over the past few weeks. Maybe someone reported that scouts from that team were in attendance at one of his starts, or or that that the teams were actively talking, or maybe it was more just sort of speculation with unnamed sources, that sort of thing. But we went with the the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Indians, the Angels, the Braves, the Marlins, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Pirates, the Giants, and the Dodgers. Some of those options obviously are uh, more realistic than others, and we encourage the the authors who were playing these GMs to to try to try to really inhabit those roles and consider what the team. They were playing stood to benefit from getting price and how much they could afford to give up and uh, and their own their own personal embarrassment 
that would be at stake if they were to if they were to submit a really ridiculous offer. Um, and so looking at the offers here and just kind of, you know, mentally weighing it, I guess, against the Will Myers trade, just because as we discussed what on yesterday's show, the you could kind of argue that it's an equivalent value here. Price is probably a little bit better than James Shields. He is he is pitching really well right now. He himself says that he is pitching better than he ever has. Um, and yet uh, he's, he's only under contract for a year and a half, whereas Shields was for two years. And there isn't really a Myers-like value on this list. There are no top 10 prospects who are being offered here to me. Um, going off the, the very tentative top 50 list, mid-season top 50 list that Jason Parks and his prospect staff have been working on, which should be out at BP next week. I've gotten a glimpse of that. And just going off that tentative list, the only top 20 guy that I was offered was Jack Peterson. Well, let me ask you, I, let me interrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. that, that top 50 uh, doesn't use rookie eligibility. Right, right, right. It yes. uses, and so Andrew Heaney. Yes, Andrew Heaney would have been on the top 50 if he had not been called up. So the Marlins, Marlins offered me Andrew Heaney, Jake Marisnik, Justin Nicolino, Anthony Discofani, and Adam Conley and Colby Suggs, big package for Price, Ben Zobrist, and Cesar Ramos. Uh, so Heaney was probably the best player I was offered. Second second best player I was offered was Jock Peterson, who, who is tentatively listed at number 20 on the midseason top 50. Other than that, it's all guys in the 30s, like... I think I was offered maybe the the number 31 through number 35 prospects just by coincidence. Stephen Piscotti and Alcantara on the Cubs. Who else? Uh, that's yeah, Lucas that's, Sims. Kyle. Uh, yeah, I don't think either of those was on it. Aaron Sanchez. Aaron Sanchez was a uh, 30 something. Oh yeah. As was uh, Tyler Glasnow. Yeah. So so there were some some guys in the 30s. No real major league. I mean, there were, I guess, a couple of young major leaguers. The Cardinals package was Matt Adams, Piscotti, and Joe Kelly for Price and Jill Peralta. So that was really the... Angels, the... angels, angels, angels. <laughs> yes, that's right. Your your package, Jerry DePoto's package, Tyler Skaggs, Hank Conger, Nate Smith, and Cam Bedrosian. But you also asked me to throw in Eric Bedard as well as Price, which is pretty greedy. Yeah, I, I think... If, if you, I, I think that anybody who's watched Eric Bedard for more than six starts would just happily, like even if he's You're doing me a helps, favor, yeah. it's so depressing to watch him. He's <laughs> yeah. bad. I mean, he undoes like forty-five percent of Joe of Joe Madden's shenanigans just with his body language. Uh-huh. He is the anti-penguin in the office. <laughs> you can't help but smile when you see a penguin in the office. Uh-huh. You just can't help but kick a penguin when you see Eric Bedard. Mm-hmm. So that was really sweetening the offer, offering to take Eric Bedard off my hands. But so there's no, there's no Will Myers here. Like the the Cardinals GM Brett Sayer did not offer me Oscar Tavares. He offered me Piscotti. The Pirates GM, uh, who I think was Chris King, offered me Glasnow, but did not offer me Tyon. Teams were reluctant to give up their their number one guy, or even. For the most part, a young guy who is in the majors already, at least in a, a straight-up trade, just where they get price back. So, 
I'm wondering what this means. Is it a symptom of the fact that, uh, or an observation that people often make about actual trades or the way that this actually works in the major leagues, that teams are hoarding prospects too much, that they are now valuing prospects too highly, and that they should be willing to give up a, a really marquee prospect for David Price? Is it that the Myers trade is just an unfair uh, comparison to make that 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 was just a a bad trade that that was a mistake that uh, just no one was was silly enough to give up someone that valuable and and Friedman is not expecting anyone to to give up anyone that valuable again or is it that maybe maybe Price doesn't deserve one of those very very tip top guys because he is he's great he's certainly you know I think one of the let's say top five starting pitchers in baseball right now or at least uh, you could you could make that case you could you could very easily make the case though that he's he's much lower i mean i'm not i don't know which case i would choose to make i love i love david price at the moment mm-hmm. uh but i mean if you i mean he's been pitching a long time and if you look at his ability to suppress runs it ain't that great mm-hmm. i mean it's he's a good pitcher he's a great pitcher he might be he genuinely might be a top five pitcher but mm-hmm. You know, it's not. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. he uh, he has the same ERA plus over the last three and a half years as Kyle Loesch. That's all. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, well that's a fair point. So yeah, so maybe are we overrating Price's value, um, or you know, in expecting in expecting say a top ten prospect, would we be overrating Price's value, either because we're that would be overrating Price, or because even if he really is that good. Maybe he doesn't give you that much surplus value because he's he's making fourteen million dollars this year, which is you know obviously a, a good a good price for David Price, but not not an incredible deal. You, you'd have to pay him whatever the prorated portion of that would be for the rest of the year, and you'd also have to pay him his his third year arbitration next year. He's a super two. Um, Presumably he'll make what twenty million over twenty million, uh, so he will not will not come cheap. And then he's a free agent after that. So maybe maybe that's just not worth a top ten guy. Maybe that's why he wasn't traded over the winter. Maybe he either won't be traded now, or Rays fans should should lower their expectations a little bit. What say you? It's, it's interesting because when we did this last year, uh, there were. Uh, and and I was uh, and I was trading PV. Mm-hmm. There were there was not even a moment where I thought that I might reject all of them. There were yeah. there were like five easy yeses, mm-hmm. and there were a couple that were um, pretty pretty easy to 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 say general managerial incompetence. Uh, one the one that I accepted was I think the Pirates and like. Uh, like uh, 19 minutes after it was submitted, I get another email from him saying, I think I overpaid. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, so it's, it, I mean, if this is a, if the won't trade prospects thing is the, uh, now, so in that case though, I was trading Jake Peavy mm-hmm. instead of David Price. And so you wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected a top 10 prospect. Yeah. And what I got is a lot of packages that are kind of similar to Price. Mm-hmm. So that would make me think that this is a uh, less about well, it, it's that basically that there's a certain 
threshold where the prospect just gets too too sexy for people to want to give up and mm-hmm. they don't want to be shamed for for giving up somebody who is a, such a top prospect mm-hmm. um, and then once you get down to the 30s and 40s particularly they're just names and mm-hmm. um, it becomes easier to, to give them away um, maybe because you don't I don't know this might this is just speculation but you we know less about them as well it's like uh, I, I have less of a visual of a number 30 prospect generally than mm-hmm. I have of a top 10. Like, every top 10 prospect, I can see him. Even if I haven't seen him, I can see him. I can probably draw a sketch to a police sketch artist <laughs> of his, uh, you know, of his, of his playing baseball. Uh, so, I don't know. I, uh, I think that everything you said has some truth to it, and I'm not sure where I come down on mm-hmm. that. Do you think I mean, that because theoretically, I mean, and I asked, I asked everyone who participated to, to try to take it seriously, try to, you know, because anyone could just offer their whole farm system and sort of ruin the exercise, and you would expect maybe someone to overpay or overbid because that's kind of what happens in the real major leagues. Often the the team that ends up with the player is the one that was willing to pay the most and maybe to pay too much, um, but. Even so, uh, I you know you'd think that if anything, just internet writers who don't actually have much at stake here would be more willing than a an actual GM to give up on to give up a top prospect in a fake trade, just because there aren't actually millions of dollars at stake for us in this article, and we haven't actually years of, of time and effort into developing these players we're not actually attached to them personally or emotionally like a GM is so you would think that if anything a BP author or a group of BP authors would be more willing to surrender a, a top name than the teams would be I would think unless you unless you just happen to run into the the right person at the right time I yeah I mean the 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 incentive to the incentives i mean the reason that we want to do a good job are different obviously but you know we're all trying to do a good job there's no point in doing it and you know getting it wrong mm-hmm. uh so i would imagine that the the brain is basically trying to do the same thing when it's a pretend thing for show as when it's a real thing for your job it's just i mean maybe it's a to the extreme is different but you know we're basically going through the same uh, logical process the point that you made about not um, you know about having invested emotionally in these players as you've drafted and developed them. That's true, and probably a, a real GM is, in a lot of cases, would be more likely to like their prospects because they selected the prospect for a reason. There's they have a bias toward that guy. That's how they got him. On the other hand, uh, it only if you know, say you have three top prospects in your system, and one of them after two years uh, in your system you've soured on. Uh, then you might be more likely than a neutral observer to want to get rid of him, and maybe that's how these trades uh, end up happening. Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say next. Uh, oh yeah, I remember what I was going to say next. Is it your expectation then that mm. the ultimate offer that the Rays get will and accept, mm-hmm. presuming there is one, and I am presuming there will be one, will it be better or worse than the uh, best offer that you get? Hmm. Guess I'll say 
better? Uh, so you think that we all, I mean, cause we're all, not only are we all trying to put together a reasonable package, but we're also essentially trying to predict what we think, uh, mm-hmm. the major league conventional wisdom or, or market is for this mm-hmm. kind of guy. So we're doing a sort of a meta thing where we're doing two layers of evaluating. Does it both, mm-hmm. does it, do we like the, this player more than these other players? But more than that, it's what do we think that a typical team would give up mm-hmm. and, um, so you think that we're all underestimating what a major league team would be willing to give up in a case like this? Yeah, or, or at least that that one major league team somewhere that is highly motivated to make the playoffs for whatever reason would make. But I don't uh, I don't know. I mean, if if not, if if they don't get a better offer, then maybe we'll we'll never know because they just won't take it. But I wonder whether they would lower their expectations, whether they would settle and accept one of these offers, because the only reason not to is if the Rays think that they could get a better deal over the winter for some reason, um, or or they could actually compete, keep price, and, and go back to the playoffs next year. So, and either one is possible, I suppose, but after having... After having passed up whatever offers they received over the winter, you have to think that they would start feeling a little pressure to do something just because you don't you don't want to, especially if you're the Rays, you don't want to get caught in a situation where you find out that you just need to dump him because you need to save money or you actually let him go and get nothing in return or, you know, a draft pick. Hey, Ben. Since this is going to be published mm-hmm. uh, by the time most people listen to this, can yes. you tell me which one you picked? I haven't. I haven't picked one yet. I don't know. Can you tell me? Can you? Can you? Can you? Can you chat <laughs> me which one you're leaning toward? I can do that. Yes. Even if I, even I haven't. Even if I, can I tell officially. You, can I tell you which one I? Can I tell yes. you which one I, I picked, or would that? Uh, I I have one that I'm leaning toward. So yes, you can tell me. Why don't you tell me which one you're you first? I, <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I am you here off air. And, and, okay. and before I even okay uh, before I even look at it, I'll tell you what my pick is. Okay. All right. So my pick is, was the Cardinals, uh, uh-huh. Matt Adams, Stephen Piscotty, and and Joe Kelly for Price uh-huh. and Peralta. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that is definitely one of the stronger but yours, ones. Yeah. Yours was my second one. The one mm-hmm. that you are currently leaning toward was my number two. Uh huh. Okay. So. So that's a cliffhanger. So people should go read the article. I think it will be free for non-subscribers. And also there is a poll embedded in the article. So you can choose your your pick, uh, either one of these trades or none of these trades. And you can see what other readers picked. So fun for everyone. All right. So that's that. Uh, Thank you for listening to the shows this week. Please... Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. Send us emails for next Wednesday at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Rate and review the show on iTunes. And please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday.